0: Good morning, everyone. Y'all come on in and grab a seat. It is so good to see everybody here today. It is a joy um, to have so many blessings from the Lord, um, and I suppose I should say happy fall, everybody. I, uh, I I know, I know. My wife is one of you. If you are someone who dreads the summer ending and the cold weather getting here. I'd like to say I feel bad for you, but I don't, because I love the fall, okay? I'm just so excited about it. Um, nevertheless, again, welcome to you. Despite the cool weather, the Lord has given us this warm, dry sanctuary for worship. Now, if you are a visitor, let me extend a special welcome to you. I'd love to meet you. Immediately after the worship service, I'll be out under the, uh, the portico right out those doors back there. As far as announcements go, I've got several. First off, let me say a big thank you to everyone who worked so hard to pull off homecoming and special services. What what a wonderful week as we enjoyed different times of fellowship together, marvelous food. The choir was fantastic as they prepared every night, so thank you, choir. Um, But even greater than these things was the spiritual food that we received. It was a blessing as we were able to hear from Reverend Joe Fleming about what the Lord is doing in Africa to build his church. Now, one thing, Joe shared that amongst all the needs, Bibles are one of the greatest needs for countries in Africa where the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Just this past week, he shipped a container with 15,000 Bibles, I think to Sierra Leone this past week, but they're doing another collection for Ghana. They want to fill another container and have it shipped there. To that end, we are doing a Bible drive at Old Providence, and several of y'all have already brought loads of Bibles, and we're really grateful for that. Um... The only criteria doesn't have to be new. One of the points that he made was that yeah, how many Bibles do we have laying around the house that, that we never really use at all? I can't even begin to count. Um, so bring your Bibles. If you want to purchase new ones, that's great. They do ask um, that, that if it's possible to not get King James just because of the language barrier but this is for English speaking Africa. And if you've got King James, that's fine, bring those too, they will take anything at all. But uh, just bring them, there's a table in Providence Hall over beside the door, one of the small square tables or rectangular tables, and and you can put them right there. But if you have any questions, please see me or or see Pat and we can answer those for you. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for giving at homecoming because all of your gifts go straight to the work of, of the church in Africa. Joe, as he shared, does not even take a salary. All, all the monies they collect go straight through to ministry. But the total giving for homecoming was $6,176. So, I, I know, I'm, I'm stunned as well. But, um, as, as I will say later with the children and the children's sermon, right, the, the Lord makes promises and he keeps his promises. So, thank you all so much for that. Now... As far as other announcements go, please be aware of your bulletin. Um, let me point out announcements about worship during our sanctuary project. There's something in there about that. Also, there's an announcement about the paint swatches on the wall and the, the carpet on the floor. And here the, the remnants that are down front. Other things are going on Monday, midday, tomorrow at 11. Youth group tonight at 5.30. Daily devotionals are back on Monday through Thursday. Um, and Wednesday Bible study at 645. And y'all, I'm just naming a few. Uh, there is one more important announcement, though, that, and it is that immediately after this worship service, we are having a very short congregational meeting. The whole purpose, if, if you look in your bulletin, and this is for members, if you're a visitor, you can stay, but only members can turn in those forms. It's recommendations for office And we have to have a congregational meeting officially for you to turn those in, but it should be very short. So members, please stay behind after the worship service. Now, that's a lot all at once. Um, I'm going to let you find the other stuff in your bulletin, but again, let me welcome you. And once again, just say how grateful we are that we have this time together as the people of God. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prelude. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 30, and it says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. And indeed there is. Recognize what the psalmist has done here. He's looked back on his past, recognizing the deliverance that the Lord has wrought for him. And yet at the same time, he recognizes the difficulties of this life. The things that we face, that we go through, and that powerful statement, weeping, may stay overnight. In other words, the psalmist, nowhere in God's word does it not say that life will not be difficult, but the promise, the promise, the reason we are here to celebrate, the reason we are here to worship is that joy comes in the morning. Now let's take this time to go to our Lord in prayer, after which I'll lead us, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then we'll confess the Apostles' Creed but let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that you have called us to this place, that that you've given us this time, set apart, that in the busyness of life where where we put our heads down and it's almost October and, and we lose track, instead you've called us to stop, to remove ourselves from the daily grind and to focus on you remembering your promises, going to your word wherein you reveal to us who you are and and what's important for us, where we sing praises to you. Please be with us in this time. Let us focus on you and on all of your glory. Guide us by your Holy Spirit that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, our Father, amen amen indeed and now as we say the apostles creed together let me ask you christian what is it that you believe i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified and the life everlasting amen amen indeed and now let's stand together as we worship by taking our hymnals and turning to number 21 as we sing joyful joyful we adore thee hymn number 21 please stand seated and children join me down front
1: come on down guys come on down let's see here one two three four and it's cold outside well cooler outside
0: isn't it yeah you know what that means don't you I don't know if you realize this I said it this morning already but it's now officially autumn and autumn or fall that means lots and lots of things are changing leaves are starting to fall the leaves in my front yard on my two trees they're starting to change colors right now lots of things change when the seasons change but you know life is full of changes too, especially for you guys. What are some ways that you guys are changing? I'll tell you what's a way, Sidney. Yeah, getting you're getting bigger. That's right. It's, it always amazes me. You know, I think back to how uh, some of you guys were this time last year, and, and you were down here. Now you're up and up and up. What's another way, Charlie? You're getting older, that's right. Now y'all are learning things, so does that mean that you're getting smarter up here in your noggin too? I hope so, that's right. But not only are you guys changing, everybody's changing. People around you are just like you guys. We're getting older, right? And just like you guys face new things, we all face new things. In fact, there is so much change in life that sometimes people can become frightened of change or sometimes people can be sad about change sometimes people can get angry about change and that makes a lot of sense because some things that change are good right like I know that you want to grow up and learn more things but let me tell you growing up is a trap y'all I told Isabella that all along growing up is a trap because before you know it you, uh, you don't have hair. Hopefully that won't happen. Maybe you two guys. You don't have hair, and then you've got gray hair in your beard and that sort of thing. But, but, here's the thing, y'all. Some changes, while they can be scary, and sometimes change means things won't be the way that they were before, some changes can be wonderful. And a lot of changes in our lives just point to the fact that God loves us, and God is working. But even though things change for us in life, you want to know something wonderful about God? God never changes. Listen to what he says in Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not a man that he might lie or a human like us that he might change his mind. And then a question is asked. It says, does God not speak and do it? Does he not promise and then keep his promises? And the answer is, yes, of course he does. Absolutely. God keeps his promises. God isn't like people that change their minds. God isn't like people who lie sometimes. God isn't like somebody that says one thing and then means something else. God always keeps his promises. And of all of his promises, the promises that he doesn't change, the promise that he hangs on to us, the promise that he loves us, God keeps all of these. And so it means that it doesn't matter what changes in life, the Lord's going to be with you. And he's going to watch over you. Now what I want you to do is to remember the Lord. And remember to love Jesus because he loves you. Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children and for everybody here. And it's true, life changes. And and the changing seasons just point to that. But we thank you that you don't. And that you love us. That you care for us. Please help these children to remember to love you and to remember how much you love them. And the rest of us too. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go. And now, as they are being dismissed, let's take this time together. Go to the Lord in silent prayer, after which I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. But consider the Lord's faithfulness to you in your life as we go to him now. Let's go to him. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as I've just read with the children, as you have testified to in your word, you're not like us, (laughs) you change your mind, you might make a promise, you may keep it, you may not, instead, you are the everlasting, ancient of days, you never change because you're perfect, and perfect can't get any better, and perfect can't get worse, and Father, we're so grateful that you are and that in this life where things change all the time, you don't, and you're with us. But Father, as we examine your faithfulness, we must admit that we have not been faithful. As we examine your steadfast love and your dedication to loving us, we must admit that often, We do not love you as we should. We would love ourselves more, our own desires, our own plans. And we are constantly in a battle where the evil one tries to pull us away and distract us, disorient us, discourage us, all sorts of things. All of them designed with the same purpose and that is to affect our relationship with you and to render us ineffective ineffective at being faithful to you, ineffective at representing you. We know that the evil one just wants us to scramble, just one day at a time, this idea of defeat. But in Jesus Christ, you've given us victory. In Jesus Christ, you've given us freedom. Let us stand in that freedom, Father, confessing our sins where it is needed, committing all anew to trusting and following you where it's needed, recognizing our great need for you, being people of your word, committing ourselves to being together as we worship you. And oh, Father, so many more things that we miss. Work in our hearts that we would live for Christ Jesus. As we face challenges to this, we pray that you would intervene if it's healing that is needed, please bring it. We know that there are several amongst us that are sick, several more that want to be here but can't. Father, you know these situations, so please be with doctors, nurses, those who care for them. We pray for those that are recovering from surgeries so that that recovery would be quick. Those that are waiting on surgeries that, Father, they would go well. And we are so glad that you know every single bit of our lives better than we do. So please bring that healing. For those who are struggling in other ways, we ask that you would bring comfort, encouragement, correction, whatever it may be, that again we would live for Christ. For those that are grieving, please give a a, a special measure of your presence. For those who are just wondering, looking at life, not understanding exactly why things are the way they are right now, give understanding. And in all of these, renew us again and again as we seek your face. We pray that you would do this not only for us here at Old Providence, but for your church universal. Just this past week, learning about what you are doing in Africa, seeing how the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth and the church is exploding with growth, we pray that you would work to ensure that that faith is not a mile wide and a half an inch deep. That through discipleship, through learning the word, you would draw folks to yourself again and again and let them deepen in their relationship with you and let that continue to be contagious. Both in places where Christianity is taking off and in places where Christianity is very thin indeed. We know that the power of the gospel of Christ supersedes can overcome any barriers that this world puts in place. We know that the church will be built even with the gates of hell stacked up against it. Nothing will stop it. But Father, as we wait on this, as we wait on your son's return, we pray that we would be faithful, that your church at large would be faithful, that your name would be lifted up and glorified and that the world would be changed as a result. Father, we know that nothing is beyond your power. Nothing is beyond your control. So please be at work in our midst and in our world. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 104 as we sing the second tune in 104 of The Lord's My Shepherd. Hymn number 104. Please stand with me. Let's go to our Lord, our Father, as we come to this portion of the service where we return to you in light of you being our shepherd, the one who watches over us, the one who provides. I pray that you would bless the gift. I pray that you would bless the giver. And I pray that your kingdom would go forward. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, choir, and, and Randy. As, as the choir was lifting up the, the special there, it occurred to me, you know, the fact that he is the Lord, kneel and, and, and adore him, the sake that, for the sake of the fact that he is the Lord, that would be enough, right? He's the king of the universe. He's the creator. We are the created. That's enough. That alone should warrant our coming to praise him. But think about what he does. Think about all the things that he's done for you. What he's done for his people. That truly, truly, he alone is worthy of our praise and honor and glory. So thank you very much, choir. Well, if you were with us two weeks ago, you'll know that recently we started something new. Uh, having finished our summer series on the Psalms and in light of some of the changes and the season in which we find ourselves at Old Providence, we began a new series on the book of Philippians. Yes, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Now, why Philippians? Well, the answer to that question was revealed in the purpose that Paul has for writing the Philippian church in the first place. As it was with the other churches that received his letters, you know, the New Testament books, right? Like uh, Ephesus, Colossus, Thessalonica. Paul wrote the Philippian church in order to address what was deficient among them, what they needed. And in a word... What the Philippians needed was love. Specifically, they needed to love one another. That's why Paul wrote what he did where we ended off last time or where we left off last time. That's why he wrote what he did in Philippians 1.9. He said, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And as we'll see, the rest of the book of Philippians goes on to unpack this concept right? As Paul, and forget about Paul, this is God's word. As God through Paul reveals what it means to love. And not only that, what it means to gain knowledge and discernment. Now the question, why why is this appropriate subject content for us here at Old Providence? I mentioned the season in which we find ourselves. Well, generally speaking, don't we all need love and knowledge and discernment? All of life and how you live it comes down to discernment, does it not? How you evaluate evaluate the the challenges of life, how you deal with those, how you evaluate the triumphs of life as well comes down to discernment. How and why you do what you do. So it's important for all of us, just in general. But as it relates to love, and specifically love for one another, let's be honest, we're, we're entering into a season where we need to be intentional about these things, don't we? There are carpet remnants on the floor right here. There are paint swatches on the walls. You all will be voting on these things and some changes. Yes, I said it, that that word changes are coming as it relates to how our sanctuary looks. But we also need this discernment, this love, as it relates to how we worship with one another while this project is underway. Y'all, we must love one another. We need to be intentional about it. We need to be intentional about how we evaluate things, about what priorities we hang on to. We need discernment. That's why we're in Philippians. And besides, don't we need discernment as it relates also not only to this season at Old Providence, but don't we need discernment as it relates to God's plan? God's plan for us here at Old Providence to to know how we can best follow him. We need discernment. He's entrusted resources to us. We're surrounded by people that don't know the Lord. Do you realize that? We need discernment. We need to take the opportunities the Lord gives us. And to do that, we need discernment. And we need love to take hold of these. And this is just a glimpse at why we're focusing on Philippians for the next couple of months. Now, where we're picking up today is where we left off the last time we were together a couple of weeks ago. Homecoming was last week, week before that is where we left off. Um, We really only made it through the introduction, but where we're picking up today is again in verse 9, and it shows us the importance of love, knowledge, discernment, and what this ought to produce in us. Realize that love, knowledge, discernment, these aren't just possessions that we have that we put in our pockets. They ought to produce something. Namely, having this love, knowledge, and discernment, it should lead us to live for Christ. So we're gonna begin reading in verse nine and and read a portion and then read some more as we go. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, please be with us now. Guide us in this time as we come to your word. Um, as, As the apostle prayed for the Philippians, so we know it is your desire for us that we would have discernment And in this time we definitely need it. Otherwise we're not gonna see what your word means for us, how, how it applies to our situation. So please guide us now by your spirit. And I pray it all in Christ's name, amen. So Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse nine. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or by death. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. All right, first things first. Given what we read, do you see the need for love, for knowledge, for discernment? Again, just think about what we read in verses 9 through 11. Very quickly. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we take just that portion, doesn't that sound great? I mean, think about it. Paul is praying this, the philippians but the fact is that this is god's word and it means that paul's desire is nothing but a mirror of what god desires not just for the philippians it's what god desires for you and me it's what god desires for old providence god wants old providence and you to have knowledge Love every kind of ter- uh, uh, discernment so that as we just read, number one, just breaking this down so that you'll be able to approve the things that are superior or another way of saying that is so that you can judge what is best. Isn't it important to see that thing, which is best yet? You know, there's so many people this quote is, a, is attributed to, but Oswald Chambers said it, but, but he said the good is always the enemy of the best. The Lord wants you to see that which is best. That's why he wants you to have love, knowledge, and and, and discernment, so that you can judge what is best. Y'all, we've got to do this. We've got to see what is best, and we've got to have the courage to follow it. Because never forget, God has a plan for your life. And sometimes we say that as a source of encouragement to one another. And indeed, it ought to be an encouragement to know that no matter what you are going through, God has a plan for you. But we shouldn't stop with the encouragement. Because the fact that God has a plan for you means not only should you be encouraged, it means that you have a calling. It means that because God has a plan for you personally, he has things for you to personally do. And not only does God have a plan for you as individuals, God has a plan for old providence. And he wants us to see it, to be able to judge the best way to go, just like he wants that for your individual life. And the reason God wants us to do the best thing, the the reason he wants us to follow his plan for us as a church, why you need to follow his plan for you as an individual, is that God's way is the right way. It's the good way. That's why, number two, his desire is that you would be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Or another another way to say this is so that you would do the right thing. Paul prays for that love, discernment, uh, and knowledge so that we would do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, number three, God wants us to have these things according to his will so that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Just like it says there. In 10, verse 10, another way of saying that is so that you will produce good things. Y'all, do you realize the salvation that we have is not some eternal fire insurance card? Have we been saved from the pains of hell? Yes, absolutely. Is that the only reason we've been saved? No. And this isn't just about God having people to work for him. Do you realize the fulfillment, the joy of doing what's best? of judging that which is good and true, doing the right thing, producing good things. Not only does that wonderful for you, not only is it wonderful for you, number four, as it says at the end of 11 there, the point of having these things is to glorify and praise God. Now you think about those four things. Don't these sound marvelous? I mean, in terms of life goals, what greater goals could there be than knowing how to judge what's best? right? Aren't we in a world that tells us all the time, hey, listen, you need to be wise here. You need to know what the best, but isn't that the pinnacle, right? To, to know how to judge what's best, to, to do the right thing, to produce good things, to glorify and praise God. If this isn't the pinnacle for you as you consider what your life ought to be about, if you aren't concerned about judging what is best, right? If you're not concerned about doing the right thing, If you're not concerned about your life amounting to something and producing good things, if you're not concerned about glorifying and praising God, then you don't know him. And I love you enough to tell you that. Because if you do know him, you'll recognize what he's done for you. And no, I don't just mean Jesus, though that would be enough. If you'll look at your life, and I say this to you all all the time, if you'll take the time to stop. And look back over the ways that the Lord has intervened. And recognize that there's all sorts of things he's done. That in this side of eternity you're never going to see him. And I won't either. If you'll recognize this then you'll realize. That your life isn't really yours at all. And as it relates to old providence. This church isn't our church. We are God's church. And so we must exist and live to do what is best, to judge that which is right, to follow Christ. And that's where we come to the head of the matter here, where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, the question is, all right, yeah, definitely, those four things are great. I want to judge what is best. I want to do what's right. I want to produce good work, right? I I want to glorify Christ. But how? How do we do it? Well, Paul prays for them. He says that in verse 9. That God's desires that they would have these at the forefront of their motivation. We get that part. But how do we actually do it? Well, first things first, let, let's start at the start, right? If you don't know Jesus, then you won't do it. All right? I, I, and I'm not trying to be ugly and I'm not trying to be terse. But if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, then you will not judge what is best. You will not do what is right. You will not produce good works and you will not glorify Him. I'm sad to say until you get to hell because he'll be glorified when justice is served. And y'all should know by now that I'm really not, despite what Glenn says, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher, I'm really not. But in reality, y'all, if you want to do these four things and you don't know Jesus, you can't do it, you just can't. Because you see, Jesus is the transforming factor that allows us to go down this road that Paul is praying for here. Jesus is the factor that brings love, discernment, and knowledge. So you've got to start at the start. If you want to do these things, you need to know Jesus. You need to submit to Him. You need to ask Him to be Lord of your life, and you need to trust in Him. But let's say you've done that already. You know, this is the book of Philippians. It's written to the church at Philippi, so I'm going to address you as the church. If you know Jesus, How do you do these things? Well, listen to me now because I'm going to tell you. If you want to judge what is best, if you want to do that which is right, if you want to produce goodness, if you want to glorify God, there is only one way that you will do it and it's if you actually live for Christ. It all comes down to this. This is important, you see, because... This concept of actually living for Christ, it takes us away from the idea that Christianity is a philosophy that we ascribe to, that that it's just some ideal, that it's just some religion. This takes us away from all of that theoretical stuff, and it puts us in a spot where we have to examine ourselves and ask ourselves the question. And so I'm asking you, is Christianity real to you? And before you answer that question with your mind or with your mouth, realize That like me, you've been answering that question your whole life. Just like me. You answered it on the way here today. You answered it this past week. And I say that to my own shame because I know me. I know that so often I've done what I've wanted to do, not what God wants. So often I've become distracted by the wares of this world and all its pursuits. I haven't led my family like I should. I haven't walked with the Lord as I should. I haven't sought God as I should. And I haven't trusted him like I should. But do you want to know the beauty of the gospel? It's this. You can't go back. But you can go forward. The beauty of the gospel is if you confess your sins, and this has to start at confession. If you say, man, I really want these four things. I want to judge what's best. I want to do what's right. I want to produce good. I want to honor God. Where that starts is confession. Going to God and asking for forgiveness and asking him to renew a right spirit within you. And if you'll do that, you can live for Christ. We can live for Christ as a church. And what does it look like? What is the product of this? Well, we've read it all, but I'm not going to read it again. But in verses 12 through 20, Paul shows us what living for Christ looks like. Because where is he? Well, he's in Rome as a prisoner. At least most likely he's in Rome. Verse 13 talks about the imperial guard. That's why we say he's riding from Rome to Philippi. But, but hopefully you noticed as we read that, that Paul doesn't consider himself a victim of his circumstances, but rather... Living for Jesus means working through your circumstances, and that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Living for Jesus means being active in your place, where you are right now. In verses 12 to 14, he he talks about how he does this, how how many have come to know the Lord through his simply bearing witness to Christ. Y'all, I say it all the time, don't complicate evangelism. Really, the, the best thing that you can do is tell people what Jesus has done for you. That's what Paul did, and the Lord honored that. The result is that not only did people come to know the Lord, others were spurred on towards preaching about Jesus too. That's what that whole business is about others who preach Christ with different motives, right? What he shows is that evangelism is contagious. Paul was preaching Christ. Others heard him. Others began to preach Christ too. And he gets into this thing where you find out there's this group of people that are opposed to him. Usually it was over doctrine, right? And and, and so he makes this conclusion. They're out there preaching with bad motives because they want to get at Paul. But he says, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now realize what Paul's doing here, he doesn't say that, 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 that it doesn't matter what people do as long as they preach Jesus. This is not some endorsement of TV preachers out there trying to make a payment on a, on a Learjet or something like that, right? Here, Paul is just showing us what it's like to live for Jesus, that living for Jesus means sharing your faith and rejoicing when faith is shared. That's what it looks like. In addition, Paul shows us that living for Jesus means recognizing that you belong to Jesus. And then no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you're facing, because you belong to him, you're going to praise him and you're going to want to see him glorified and honored. How often do you consider in the morning, God, what can I do to glorify you today? You know, we're really good at thinking of the things that God can do for us. When's the last time you stopped and asked God, how can I glorify you? You see, that's what living for Christ means, because isn't that what Christ did? Not my will, Father, but but your will be done. This is why Paul said, ultimately, living for Christ, he, he really puts the cap on it in verse 20, he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or by death. Y'all, what does it mean to really live for Christ? It, It means having the conviction of what we just read, that your utmost desire is that Christ would be honored in all that you do. And my friends, when you have that conviction, not only will you be able to judge what is best, do what is right, produce good things, glorify and praise God, when you live for Christ, when you truly live for Christ, the end result is that you can conclude what Paul concluded. Listen to what he says in verse 21 and following. He says this, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pausing for just a moment, just think about that. What does that mean? It means that Paul has weighed everything. He's a prisoner, right? He may be executed. He may not be. He doesn't believe he's going to be, but he might be. And he's gotten to the point that he is so focused on living for Christ that he says, hey, if I die, it just means that I'm going to go to heaven and I don't have to suffer anymore. But if I live, I'm going to live for Jesus. Again, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Read between the lines here, y'all. Paul is a man that's torn, but in his being torn over whether it's better to live or to die, his focus is still the same. And he wrote this without an ounce of hesitation because he was really living for Christ, And that's the challenge for you and me now if you hear that you say well that's paul he's an apostle he's supposed to do that sort of thing don't do that because not only do you turn paul into some superhuman who he is not he's a man you also belittle those who around the world are not apostles but are doing the same thing today right now you heard it from joe this past week and if you didn't you missed out horribly And I feel bad for you because really he focused on those people that are doing everything for Jesus. They're living a life right now. (coughs) Excuse me. As we speak, they're living a life that really it would be better if they were dead and just went to heaven. But they stay. Why? In order to share the riches of Christ because they know what it means to live for Christ. You want to know something incredible? Despite the danger, despite the difficulty, it's where people are really living for Christ that the church is actually growing. Those people know the best thing. They've judged what is best. They know the right thing. They produce good things. They glorify God. And that's what God honors. That's why Christianity is growing there. And for you and me, the challenge is, I think that this is a, for me, I can't speak for you. For me, this is a wake-up call. And it's a calling. Live for Christ and you'll be amazed at what he does. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you for the Apostle Paul, the example that he gave, for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now, this very instant that are in harm's way, but they have judged what is best. They are doing what is right. They are producing good, and they are glorifying you. Father, please work in my heart. Work in our hearts that we would have that same desire. It's not complicated. Let us live for you. And if there are any here that do not know you, let them realize their great need. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us stand together as we close by singing Bible song number 105. It's from Psalm 51, but it's Bible song number 105. As we sing it, lift it up as a prayer. Please stand with me. Again, I'd ask our members to remain, and, and others are welcome to stay too, but for now receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.